Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We're entering into the Advent season through the book of Luke as we see the birth of Jesus and his childhood years. We're really excited to share that with you and hope that this season will be enveloped by remembering Jesus coming to be with us. We'd also want to invite you to partner with us financially. We have a few missionaries that you can find on our website that have really blessed our church by doing college ministry. And also we have seminarians that we want to invite our listeners to support as well. We're starting a church residency program praying to uh, see God raise up the next generation of pastors at Renew Church. You can find all that information at the description section. Enjoy the podcast. Right now we have a question that says, what is your favorite Christmas movie or what song, book, or movie do you like to replay over and over again? So we'll just break off into groups of three or four. Uh, We'll do five minutes of this question. And I'm really excited that Kristen will be preaching for us. All right, start coming back. And wrap it up. Say bye to your bestie until we come back later. All right, that's fun. I hope you guys all walk away this morning with, well, with more than just a list of movies you want to watch. But that too. Sunday afternoon, rainy day, perfect day to snuggle up with Christmas beauty. Uh, Two nights ago... Lincoln, my youngest, just watched Home Alone 2 for the first time, and uh, youth group was actually downstairs at our house that night, so me, Jonathan, and Lincoln were all in our bed watching Home Alone 2, and I am sitting on the edge quoting like 80% of the movie, because it is one of the best, and I haven't watched it in a few years, but I was like, man, I really know this movie. So I was telling Lincoln, when you see Paji, who is my dad to him, when you see Paji, you tell him, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. So, and I was like, I need a sweater. I need an ugly Christmas sweater that says, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. They exist, so if you see one, take a picture, text me the link, uh, and I will sport it next Christmas. My prom, or actually next week, if I can get it fast enough. Um, but I bring up, you know, those Christmas movies or those books that we have on repeat because As Wilson was sharing, we're walking through the beginning of the book of Luke right now, and um, this story is the Christmas story, and we retell this and we reread this um, in most churches and in a lot of families every year, and so it's a story that's familiar, it might be nostalgic, Uh, we might be able to be, quote, 80% of it verbatim, like Home Alone 2. Uh, but I'm praying that it, it falls on us in a fresh and sweet way this morning um, because different than any other book or movie that we can get hooked on is God's word is living and active, and so we know that we can engage the same story, and God can do something um, really new in us. So I'm, I'm trusting him for that <clears throat> in me and, um, and in you guys this morning. So just as a little recap, Wilson shared last week, opening up the book of Luke for us, and he shared about how the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah, the priest, and told him that his pregnant, his wife Elizabeth would become pregnant uh, with a son. And Zechariah was so stunned in unbelief um, because his wife was so old, uh, he was stunned speechless, literally. 
And um, so now in the passage that we pick up this week, Elizabeth is now six months pregnant, and Gabriel is on the scene again, and this time not appearing to a priest, but to a teenage girl, Mary, who is pledged to be married. So uh, your version might say betrothed or pledged, and so this is kind of like being engaged, but in Jewish custom, um, the, what, the marriage process kind of came in three phases. You have an arranged marriage often, which could happen as early as like infancy, childhood, family alliance agreement, our kids are going to get married, um, and you know, we like joke about that sometimes, like uh, I want to pick my in-laws, but, uh, but really in really early years, and then you have this betrothal or pledge time, and maybe that's like a year or so before actual marriage, really similar to engagement, and then marriage, but different um, than engagement is to break off a betrothal or a pledge um, is almost like a divorce in that there are real promises and commitments um, made before others during that time. So this Mary teenage girl in this phase of um, betrothal. And and we also learned last week from uh, Wilson about the author Luke of this book of Luke and how he was a really skilled and detailed writer, and that he most likely went to great lengths to provide um, a historically accurate um, narrative for us in the life of Jesus. And I love imagining him coming to this part of the book of Luke and like checking and rechecking the information for accuracy. Kind of thinking like, I'm not including this unless I know it really happened like this. Like Mary, like Gabriel appeared to Mary, a, t- a teenage girl from that family, from that town, from that poor family and setting. Like that, that's how we're going to introduce our king and our Lord to the waiting world. She wasn't even married? Like my goodness, this is scandalous. You know, this is not what a great author would maybe want to write as his setting to usher in the king of the world. This is not what the weary world was really looking and waiting for, at least they thought. I mean, I don't honestly, obviously, know Luke's process, um, but I do know that all scripture is God-breathed and God-inspired, and so I imagine Luke's surprise at the way that God has chosen to tell this story and introduce the long-awaited and promised Messiah to the world. So we can remember this as I continue to go on this morning, um, that what the world often overlooks or maybe looks down on, um, God delights in. And that's the way that he wants us to begin to understand as he's telling his story to us. So We're starting with a surprising and familiar story of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. We'll read that together in a minute. Then we're going to look at what Mary had to say about that visit um, and just see what she has to teach us about worship. Okay, so let's read the passage. I'll actually, it's a little bit long, so I'll just read it to you. Um, We're going to start in verse 28, um, and it should be on the screen says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to, be, to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So as a quick recap of what just happened, Gabriel appears to her and tells her three things. You, Mary, are favored. The Lord is with you. And then he <laughs> breaks the news to her. You, a virgin, are going to be, become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and give birth to God's son, the Messiah. And by the way, Elizabeth, your relative, is also pregnant. So this is just the news. Like, he's delivering the news, right? And lastly, he says, no word from God will ever fail. So the story continues on. Mary hurries to Elizabeth's house, and, we, and she meets, um, when Mary gets to Elizabeth's house, house, which might have actually been a few days, and she meets Elizabeth, um, the baby inside Elizabeth's stomach leaps. And we know that to be John the Baptist in greeting of Mary. And then it says, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, greets Mary as the mother of my Lord. And then in a couple different ways, Elizabeth is telling Mary, you are blessed. You are blessed among women. She is blessed who God has visited and so we see the words of God to Mary here from Gabriel, that you are favored, that God, God's word will never fail. And from Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, God's word to her is you are blessed. So God's speaking to Mary. And that's the story. That's the narrative backdrop. And the next part, um, the passage that we're going to read, is a peek into... Mary's response. It's a peek into her heart and what she's doing with God's word to her in these moments. And it's a song, maybe titled Mary's Song or the Magnificat in your Bible. Um, and it's like worship. So we'll start in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Okay, so Mary is worshiping, but she's also preaching to us. And I secretly kind of love this because we have the same angel, Gabriel, appearing first to a man, a priest. 
And there's people waiting to hear from him outside the temple, right? It said that it took him such a long time to come out of the temple that everyone's waiting like, Zechariah, what are you going to tell us about what just happened? And he has nothing to say. Not yet, at least. We hear from him next week. Um, But that same angel appears to a young teenage girl with no special religious status. And we get to see and learn from her words here. So let's take a little closer look and see what she is believing and what she's saying um, in her worship. So um, it begins, if you want to go back a couple slides to, or maybe just one slide or ahead, what part of her worship? Yeah, nope, back. Back again. I don't know. Maybe you guys can catch up to me, but just so we can have um, her worship on there. In verse 48, she says, you have been mindful of the humble state of her servant. And depending on your translation, it might say, you've remembered me, you're mindful of me, um, or you, you've seen me. So she's saying, God, you have seen me. You are mindful of me, the humble state of your servant. So why is she saying that she's seen? Is it because of her special status or how awesome she is or how she's presented herself to the world? No, Bible commentators will agree that Mary is likely, like I mentioned, a young teenage girl, estimated between like 12 and 16 years old. I wanted one of our youth girls actually to maybe read this passage to us. Lucy gave it a hard pass and then I just kind of let go from there. Um... Her family was most likely from really humble means and position, and um, she was most likely illiterate, like most girls that lived at home at that time, and probably just keeping the home during that time, tending to household chores. Um, We see here that any place can be a sacred place of worship, not just a temple. Any person can meet the gaze of God, not just a priest. So he's been mindful, not because of her greatness, but mindful of her humble and ordinary state. So we know that our God is not high and haughty, you know, up there somewhere just waiting for us to measure up, not just in a temple waiting to be visited, not only hanging out at the Brea Civic Center on Sunday mornings waiting for us to show up and worship him, but a God of compassion who sees and who stoops down. I love her language in the second half of that worship song that she's saying um, how God's heart is toward the humble. Lifting up, rescuing, showing his mighty deeds, showing his help to those who are humble. So Mary's acknowledging her humble state before God. And I want to talk about this idea of what it means to be humble for a second. And... um, You know, Mary acknowledging her humble state is really just um, coming to grips with who she is and who God is. Being humble is seeing yourself accurately um, and seeing God accurately. To know that God is great and uh, who I am in contrast to him. You know, in Philippians, it tells us that one day every knee will bow before Jesus at his name. And a humble heart is the choosing that that's my reality right now, that I see already now that he is great, that he is God, and I am not. 
If we fail to acknowledge our humble state in light of his greatness, I don't think that we can have a right view of who God is. When we meet God's gaze, if we don't see his gaze as loving and merciful compassion, but we see it as something we have earned, we are failing to see the true character of God. We won't see compassion. We will see our earning. And those who earn their reward or earn the gaze of God are proud. And in that second half of Mary's worship song, we also see her describe um, God's posture toward the proud. He scatters. He brings down. He sends away. Why? Well, our gracious God is um, not one to him impose himself on those that have no room or no desire for him. He moves toward the humble. They have room. So for any Enneagrammers out there, um, I love the Enneagram assessment, and I use that often in my life and with others. And um, I am a type three on the Enneagram, which means performer or achiever. And uh, the kind of underbelly of an Enneagram 3 is that I can easily believe the lie that I am only as good as the image I present or what I produce. I am only as good as my last success. The gospel longing in me that is hidden or broken that I need to hear is that I am loved and accepted for simply being me. So honestly, sometimes my biggest barrier to worship like Mary is my success, that my greatest accomplishments might be the barrier for me to having true worship with God. I actually have to be really careful um, and mindful of this stage, honestly, physically and metaphorically, um, that I wouldn't do this to receive attention or affirmation that I would trade in for love and acceptance, that I would equate attention with love and acceptance. You know, if Mary was an Enneagram 3, she might not say, you have been mindful of the humble state of your servant, but she would say something like, um, you know, like hold up, hold up something is like, look at this, like see this certificate or this award, like pretty impressive, right? Like, do you love me? Isn't this awesome? And just carrying this around. But, like, what, what happens, like, when I hold this in front of you? Like, you cannot really see me, right? Like, I am not really being seen, and I am not really choosing to allow myself to be exposed and therefore delighted in and the recipient of God's gaze and mercy. So maybe it's like this for you, too. Maybe you're not an Enneagram 3. I'd love to talk to you more about that, though. Um, but maybe you believe a lie like that. You know, we've, we've heard the statistics that, that most of us in this room, you know, if you drove here this morning, if you have <clears throat> an iPhone, if you have uh, a home, that you are within the top, like, 2% of the world's population of wealth. So we are rich. Like, we are wildly rich. And maybe sometimes we are so blinded by not just our successes, but our wealth, that we forget our hunger and our depravity. We forget our spiritual poverty because we're so materially wealthy. 
Uh, we forget the truth that apart from Christ, we're nothing um, because we have so many somethings um, truly apart from him. We're rich and we're really busy. Um, sometimes we're so busy and important that we've kind of silenced the inner child in us that cries to be noticed and loved. And with that desire, we just put more stuff on the calendar and um, rush on to the next thing. We can become so addicted to our successes that we don't realize that so much of what we're doing is trying to satisfy that humble longing just by your own means. Maybe it's like getting likes on our post or getting noticed by that guy or gal, getting noticed at work, getting a promotion, having that new toy or gadget. The humble nature of all those things, the true childlike desire, is um, just that we're like orphans looking for belonging and we're hungry and we're looking to be filled. We just name it a lot of other things, but that really is the humble nature of so much that we're after. We're desiring to be seen. So Mary acknowledges not that, she, that just that she's humble, but that she is seen and not just seen, that she's blessed. Why is Mary blessed? Well, at first glance, it would seem that she's blessed because she's pregnant. And throughout scripture, we see the belief that Fertility equals favor. Often when a woman was unable to be pregnant, she would feel that God has forgotten her. And when she becomes pregnant, like God has remembered me. He has shown me favor. Because her culture says that children are the evidence of God's favor. Women found security and status, especially in giving birth to a son. Even Elizabeth, in the passage that Wilson read to us last week, said... He has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among people. When she found out she was pregnant, she said, there's God's favor. Now I won't have disgrace among people anymore. But if that's what Mary meant when she said blessed, then God got things a little out of order. You know, doesn't he know? First comes love, then comes marriage. You know, or first comes arrangement, then comes betrothal. Then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the manger carriage. So, uh, so actually getting pregnant out of order wouldn't be blessed. It would be a disgrace, like Elizabeth had said. But isn't that just like God to flip things on its head a little bit? We say, we have figured out the formula. We have figured out what works in the right order of things just follow this and we'll give you the credit and we'll say it was from you and that we're, and then we'll know, we'll know we're blessed. So, I mean, what does our culture say it means to be blessed? Um, we say we're blessed when we get good things, when we get what we desire. You know, and it can be kids, we, when we have the amount of kids we want, when we want, in the gender order that we want them. Uh, we call it blessed when we're doing well at work and we're getting rewarded for it. Um, we call it blessed when we are able to move into that new house or um, get that new car. We call it blessed when our lives look like what the world says is good. And, um, and don't get me wrong, I really do think all those things that I listed off are blessings, like 
unmerited gifts that, that can and should be enjoyed that I would wish for all of us. Um, but I think it's important to know that blessings, some of these just gifts that we're able to receive um, are that, but they are not a sign that we are blessed. And a lack of them is not a sign that we are not blessed. Mary said she is blessed because in verse 49, she says, the mighty one has done great things for me and he is holy. She recognizes who she's talking about and meeting his gaze means that she's blessed. Have you uh, ever struggled to feel blessed or seen? Maybe even sharing this, maybe you feel totally invisible sometimes. Maybe not all of you, uh, but maybe there's a piece of your story that feels invisible or that you've almost even intentionally tucked away to be invisible and to hide. Um, and I think that sometimes our hidden longings and our unanswered prayers and our broken places in our life, we do kind of tuck away because they already feel invisible anyway. Um, I can tell you about a time in my life where I've struggled uh, to call blessed before. And it feels appropriate here because it has to do with pregnancy. And I actually don't think that our society has changed all that much from thinking that fertility equals favor. I maybe wouldn't have articulated that until Jonathan and I struggled to get pregnant um, or to carry a pregnancy to full term. Uh, you'll have to bear with me. It might be a little difficult to share, even still. Um, so you might know our kids, Lucy and Lincoln. Lucy is 14, and Lincoln is 6. So we have an eight-year gap between our kids, and um, there's a lot there. There was, um, you know, trying to get pregnant and um, miscarriage and... Um, just the emotional roller coaster of um, wondering if, like, this is the month that it would be. Uh, you know, people think that trying to get pregnant is super fun, <laughs> and it's pretty fun sometimes. Uh, but it was it was really hard for me. Um, you know, wondering if my body was strong enough to carry a baby to full term. Uh, I would often refer to myself as like emotionally infertile, like wondering if I was emotionally strong enough to deal with the ups and downs of trying to control all the factors, what I ate, what I drank, timing, um, only to take another negative test the next month. Then there was the adoption process, which was very exciting at first. Um, a part of an international adoption that uh, about a year and a half in, uh, that country closed for adoption because of really sad, unethical practices. And then there was the reapplying to new adoption agencies and uh, redoing home studies and new trainings and new adoption process through local private adoption and through the foster system. And for years, we tried to say yes to everything that God might bring our way. But for so many different reasons, some of them that felt really random, um, the answer back was always no. 
the doors kept closing. You know, meanwhile, people around us and our family and friends are continuing to get pregnant, and um, even adoptive families around us are continuing to grow and have beautiful stories. And in that time, what started as a prayer request that I would share with anyone and everyone um, became a little bit more quiet and hidden and vulnerable. And many of you know that the end of that story leads to Lincoln. And that part is a really fun story to tell, but I'm actually not going to tell it right now. <laughs> um, because you know what? Uh, even though that particular part of our story had a really sweet ending, uh, not all of them do. And a lot of our stories do not have healing and resolve this side of heaven. Um, so it might not be about pregnancy for you, but, you know, if the statistics are true, it's probably true for a lot of us. Um, but we all have pieces in our story that are sometimes hard to call blessed. It's hard to call heartache blessed when you're in it. It's hard to call a financial hardship and loss blessed. It's hard to call a diagnosis blessed. It's hard to call emotional and mental health struggles blessed. But Mary teaches us that we're not blessed because of blessings. We're not blessed defined by what the culture around us tells us it means to be blessed. But we're blessed because we have a God who sees us. Remember what the world often overlooks or looks down on, God sees and delights us in delights in, and he calls us blessed, ordinary, humble kids, and we're blessed like Mary by the gift of his son. So Mary's ability to reflect and to worship like this seems wise beyond her years. I think Lucy's really mature, but I don't think I'm going to find this, you know, in her prayer journals. Um, so much character, so much wisdom, so much spiritual maturity. But before we elevate Mary beyond anything that we can relate to, I want us to think about where these words might have come from. On one, one hand, I think it is coming from a deep love for God, coming from the overflow of her heart. But I also think it comes from verse 38 when she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's focusing on God's word to her. Because those words in her song sound familiar, right? You can go to the next slide. It's the words from Gabriel and the words from Elizabeth. So much of God's word to her through the angel and through her spirit-filled relative are the words that she is choosing to use as she is worshiping by faith. She is taking God at his word, knowing that she is favored and seen. She is believing the prophecy over her life that she is blessed when she says in her song that I am blessed among women. She is worshiping by faith. Now, we, she could have sung a totally different song about what she felt. Maybe scared, maybe overwhelmed, maybe frustrated about how God got things out of order. And that's totally appropriate. And we actually get to see songs like that in scripture too, like in the Psalms, you know, where it's really just this wrestling with what God is doing. 
But it's also important to know that when we're not feeling it, that we can still worship by faith. Like Mary, that she anchors her worship in who God is and what he says and what he has done throughout history. So to wrap up, I want to talk just a little bit more about how we can make that like really practical for us when we enter in to worship daily or even into a worship space like this, how we can worship like Mary. So we have a choice in perspective in how we see. Um, Mary's choice is in verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Okay, so Wilson, when he's coached me through preaching before, he suggested that at least one part of every message should be for the nerds. Okay, so this part is for the nerds. Like, you know who you are, the ones that want some, like, crazy historical fact, or, you know, I want to unlock the meaning of this passage through the Greek, yada, yada. So I have some Greek for you. Okay, I was really just trying to cross-reference a couple different passages, and this came up. I thought it was interesting. So Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. The Greek word for magnify is maligno. Okay, and most times this is used throughout scripture. It's used a lot. It's used when we talk about rejoicing in the Lord, which makes sense. That checks for us. Um, one other interesting place it's used that's kind of out of place of the others is in Matthew 23, 5. And that's when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Pharisees being the religious elite that ironically were the most opposed to Jesus. Jesus says this about them. He says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Phylacteries was like this weird headband that hold, held like a scroll of the law. And the tassels were just part of the, part of the attire, the external expression of their religious status, okay? So everything they do is for people to say they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments Maligno. So we see a worship like Mary's, her soul, her internal life is focused on magnifying or zooming in or making much of the Lord. This sort of worship is, has the underlying belief that I am seen by the Lord. And then we see a Pharisee's worship or approach to God their tassels, which is just symbolizing their external status, what they feel like makes them great before others, whatever they are holding up like this. They maligno, they lengthen, they magnify, they focus on to bring attention to self. And the underlying belief there is I need to be seen by others. This is what it means to be blessed. So here's what I don't mean when I'm comparing those two. I don't mean like stop thinking about the stuff in your life that you think is so important and focus on God instead. Like maligno God, not yourself. It's not about you. Um, you know, I think that it's easy to think like that, but that would kind of undermine a lot of what I had just talked about bringing all of us to the table when we meet God's gaze right? We don't need to check our baggage at the door. Like, leave what happened in your life out there. Like, this space is for God. Leave everything else back there. I think that we need to bring all of it in. We just, 
leave the tassels at the door, you know? We want to bring all of our brokenness and lay it before God. You know, when, um, when someone wants to, to market something to us or tell us, this is going to be so much better for you, it's like, this product is hassle-free. It'll make your life so much easier. So a worship like Mary's, I don't think is like hassle-free. It's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's a wrestling. But it's tassel-free worship. You get it, guys? Tassel-free? Okay. So if I were ever going to like market this, that's my gimmick, tassel-free faith. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but okay, here's, here, when I was thinking about that, all joking aside, I thought, man, Christianity is the only tassel-free faith out there. Any other God, any other thing in our life that begs for our worship is all about measure up, show us what you can do. What's your status? What do you have to prove for yourself? But Christianity through Jesus says, I know you can't measure up. I see you in your humble nature. I will come to you as a baby, live the perfect life, and die a death that you deserve. Because I see you, you have met my gaze. I love you. So tassel-free faith means that we don't come with our best filters. We don't come with the world's idea of what it means to be best, blessed. We don't come with the culture's definition of what it means to meet the gaze or meet God's affection. We come with all of our baggage, tender and humble. Uh, we're renew. We come imperfect. We come to God with all the messy and broken, and we lay it before him so that we have no more barriers and we're allowing ourselves to be seen and blessed. And I'm going to have Wilson come up. Um, he's going to lead us in a time of communion. But even as we enter into communion, I love this order of our worship that we take time to remember before we even worship, that it is something that can kind of anchor our worship in saying, I'm believing that he is who he says he is, and because of that, um, I'm going to worship by faith. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the Adulting Journal. 
If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.